This episode is brought to you by Soundstripe. Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. What is the least amount of money you think you could spend on the full production of a short film from free to post-production and still get into a major festival? Well, if you guessed $4.50, then you probably read the title of this podcast because it's a figure that's almost unimaginable in today's crowded short landscape. Nevertheless, performance artist slash writer slash actor Tony Grayson did just that back in 2017. Fresh off a disappointing stint trying to quote unquote make it in New York City and armed with simply his friend's old digital camcorder, he set off for his dad's research lab in Chicago to try and shoot something, anything. What he ended up with was found footage xx100n.s.1, and its ensuing acceptance to the South by Southwest Film Festival was anything but disappointing. I sat down with Grayson and talked about how he pulled off the shoot for such a minuscule budget, the value of casting aside preciousness in your work, and how a South by Southwest premiere led him to his next project, Alan Anders, Live at the Comedy Castle, circa 1987. Hey guys, this is John Fusco, and I'm here today with, what would you call yourself, a writer, director, yeah, creator? All those things. All those things. Yeah, performance artist as well, yeah. Performance artist, Tony Grayson. And uh, hey, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Yeah, how are you? Good. We're going to talk cool. a little bit about your uh, your career so far, so to speak, because you have a pretty interesting story. Um, Tony reached out to us uh, and shared this video that he made, uh, that he made for $4 and 50 cents and it got into South by Southwest. So it's just a pretty unique case study and one that I think everyone can benefit from. So let's like just first, I guess, jump into maybe you can describe your two projects, um, that you've worked on and then we can go into the backstory about how they got created. So, sure, so yeah. let's hear about, uh, first let's hear about the found footage. Cool. Yeah. So I made a short called found footage XX 100 NS one, which was the first film that was at South by. Um, so that one is essentially this sort of like extraterrestrial force, um, messing with the life of this, uh, sad neuroscientist, <laughs> um, played by my father. And then the next one was Alan Anders, which is, um, a short film that I wrote and acted in and uh, Laura Moss directed. And that one is this comic who um, is this like hack 80s comic who's on stage. And while he's on stage, he realizes that he's trapped in a VHS tape and he has this sort of um, existential crisis. There you go. And uh, we'll, I think we'll link to both of these videos, or at least one of them. Is uh, the second one, Alan Anders, is that up yet? That online? one's not on, on yet. But we got a trailer for it, yeah. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, we do. We'll put the trailer in the post so you guys can watch both of them and get an idea for what he's talking about. But um, I think I want to first hear about um, your experience in New York, because I know you went to college, but you didn't go to film school, right? Well, I did actually. Okay. So I was, um, so I went to NYU, and I was a. Uh, uh, I ended up concentrating in playwriting while I was there. Okay. And I studied acting a lot as well, and then I spent two years as a film double major. Oh, okay. Before dropping that, um, uh, right before graduating. Okay, so. so you dropped your film major before graduation. Yeah, I was I was one class away, and uh, <laughs> this is a silly story. I was one class away, and I. Um, 
decided that I wanted to take an Italian class instead because I really wanted to learn a language and I didn't really feel like making a film at the time. And so I was like, oh, it's just pride if I if I just take it to just have it on a piece of paper at this point. So I dropped it. <laughs> so do you speak Italian fluently now? Not or? at all. I was <laughs> writing my thesis play at the time as well. And so I was kind of losing my mind with that and taking this like 8 a.m. intensive five day a week mm-hmm. Italian class that I bombed in hard. <laughs> so then what did you study in your film classes that sort of made you think that you didn't need to get that degree, I guess, in film? Well, I just kind of had an awareness that it seems in the world that your work is what matters much more than the degree that you have. And so it just felt silly to get a degree for the sake of it um, when when I had learned I, – I, I, guess I just learned a lot from the classes and felt like I got what I needed out of it and kind of was taking a different path. Um, A friend of mine had also just dropped out and he was going and traveling the world and sort of carving his own path. So I was like, oh, that's inspiring. And then being a playwright, how do you think that sort of uh, helped your film knowledge? Or did you feel that studying playwriting uh, maybe prepared you for film just as much as a film degree would? Or Yeah, I I feel like they, they were pretty helpful in terms of it was just you know looking at storytelling from a different perspective so i think i think it definitely informed with my film writing maybe i write a little bit too much dialogue these days because <laughs> of that but yeah so then you're graduated from college you don't have a film degree you know some italian <laughs> what happens after college um, how are you making a living like in sure. New York, what do you want to what do you want to do? I guess. Yeah, um, that's that's a big question. So I kind of floated around for a couple of years. I was working at a restaurant um, and doing that whole grind, and I was trying to pursue a career in acting. But I I kind of put film on the side for a little while, and I was writing, and I had this writers group where we were writing plays and things like that, and we'd meet up, and I acted in just a ton of black box productions and was feeling generally sort of lost and unfulfilled. I think it was just a difficult time of um, leaving all this. I'm someone that really thrives off structure, and then so suddenly leaving that and kind of floating around, and then you're stuck in New York, which is like you have to work so hard just to get by, and then on top of that somehow make your career happen. So I was kind of feeling um, lost and confused with all of that. Yeah. So... Why did you decide to return to film as a means to uh, sort of revitalize, I guess, that structure in your life? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. I think it's sort of I just want to make projects. And so sometimes that's going to be a play. Sometimes that's going to be a film. I don't I guess I, I'm a filmmaker, but I I guess I don't make each of, I'm not just like a through and through filmmaker, right. you know, I'm still performing every, most weeks and I'm still writing essays and kind of the story, what's cool about having this sort of like all this different types of training is that you can look at what story you have and see what medium it fits. Um, so I found this time around I had wanted to make a film mm. and so that's that's what ended up happening. So yeah. it's like you're kind of just writing stories all the time and then depending on what the story calls for, you choose the medium. Yeah, exactly. That was actually interesting with um, Alan Anders, the second film that we had made, because Laura had seen me perform it, um, and so we had to adapt that. She figured out a great way to adapt that onto film. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And so it inherently had to change because the live performance had this music cue, and it was um, 
it it was built for for the stage. And so she found a way to tell it visually. She knew that the music cue wouldn't translate properly and things like that. So she she found a way to do it. So then eventually you packed up from New York and moved to Chicago. Yeah, which was that was really scary because, you know, you live in New York for six years. You're told you're sort of like told growing up, this is the place to be. You know, you have um, all these connections and all these people and your best friends in this community of people that you're slowly building. People are finally reaching out to you to do things. And I had these friends from back in high school, um, Zach Bartz and Kevin Garrity, who I had met uh, while doing like a Second City summer training thing um, when I was living in Chicago and they had just stayed in Chicago and they uh, created this show called The Shithole, which is a show that takes place in non-conventional spaces, garages, attics. Um, and they, I basically would come back and visit to see my family and then I'd go and see a show and see 60 people crammed into a sweaty attic hmm. and just realizing like, oh, they're doing the thing. And I'm just waiting tables, waiting around for a job, being so precious about my writing and feeling like, you know, you have to make it perfect to make it because so much money is riding on it. And it's and they're just doing it every week, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so they I finally reached out to them. I was like, what would it look like if I moved back for a month? And they said that there was a spot opening up in the house in September. And so if you live in the house, you get to play all the shows. And so. I was paying half the rent um, if I if I moved there, and I just I was going back and forth with it, and I did it, and I'm really happy I did. So, can you describe this house a little bit that you were living in? Yeah, so it's a house full of um, different artists. Um, a lot of, there's painters, um, there's writers, there's a performance artist, um, and basically in the attic space. Um, is a shared space where we do these shows every Sunday night. Um, so all the shows are free. It's all word of mouth. Um, Zach and Kevin created and kind of I got really lucky because I just got to latch onto this thing that was already, you know, fully formed and I found a community in it all. Um, so, yeah, floor to ceiling art in the space. They just it's a free show. They ask for your time um, to save for the whole show. But if not, they ask for money or art and you can draw on the walls and everything. And they sort of um, just it is one of the most supportive crowds I've ever seen. And having that and having that in your house, you know, because I'm someone that really feels like they need to feel safe on stage to explore things. And I'm taking these big risks and I know it's going to fail most of the time. And I'm just like, you know, trying it. And so it was really easy not to talk myself out of, you know, like walking it's just like walk upstairs. They're coming to your house, right. you know, versus going to the one obscure open mic in Brooklyn that yeah. will like <laughs> give me the time of day, like an hour when and like requesting off working Friday night when you need that rent money and stuff like that. It was more just like, um, yeah, scaling, scaling my life back and finding fulfillment and through that. So all the artists lived in this house together and you were kind of like working off one another in a way? Sort or? of. Yeah. I mean, um, we're still we're still there now. Yeah. Um, it's a. Uh, yeah, they, you know, you go up there and you you work. Zach is painting every day up in that attic space. It's a studio space, and so and they like open it up to artists. To you know, he'll make a Facebook post or something and bring in, and people just come by, and um, you sort of get a share of writing, and um, it's all all different forms of art. And that was actually really exciting about being in Chicago is like the cross blending of talents, like um, and different disciplines, which kind of resonates with me, like I was talking about. So. You know, Zach will be live painting at a comedy show. Um, and there's, yeah, it's it's just all these sort of like blending of things. So, yeah. So these places like exist in more than just New York and L.A., I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you yeah. can like, you know, ha- 
you got lucky, it sounds like. I got really lucky, yeah. I, I mean, like, one of the biggest things I learned through this is just finding fulfillment and your community. Um, and then everything else kind of fell into place because of that for me. You know, I wasn't trying to – you mentioned earlier, like, why is film the – career now and everything it was more like it just kind of has been happening mm -hmm. to me because i've been feeling inspired and supported by people hmm. so how would you say that people can like find communities like this uh just you know is it is there any way to do it like preemptively or is it only luck it's sort of tough yeah, yeah. you i mean like it's actually a lot of people have built shows after coming to the shithole in response to it because hmm. you know there's like someone from like Vermont, that's like, I'm going to make my version of this in Vermont and things like that. You know, people come from all over the world and see it and sort of get inspired. So making it yourself, which is difficult, and I don't know how they've done it. They've done over f like 400 shows now hmm. in three years, you know, and it's a lot of time and dedication, but they've um, they've built this for themselves. But, I, you know, finding spaces that, that feel like that resonate you and just showing up and being friends with people kind of you just have to seek it out just a little bit it's a word of mouth show i mean they post a flyer and it just says message for details and all you have to do is message to find out it's not that mm. complicated and so i feel like there's a lot of reaching of out and stuff that you can do yeah so yeah. then you were in chicago when you decided to make uh this first short that we we're talking about found footage what, what's the full title yeah, i'm just gonna I'm, refer to it as found footage <laughs> yeah we can just call it found <laughs> okay <footage. laughs> i support that um so uh, you were in Chicago, uh, yeah. and it served as an impetus for you to create this short. Um, what happened in that time that made you want to create this short? Sure. So it was basically, you know, two years of feeling unfulfilled in New York and being so precious and focused on perfection. And then I get to Chicago and people are just creating constantly and I'm in this environment. And so we were doing this one backyard show where... Um, we, the first half would be live, and then we'd screen films in the second half. Hmm. And I think it was my first or second week there, and I'm like, I'm just going to make a film and screen it here next week. Hmm. Um, and so my wow. roommate Dan had this um, beat-up Sony Handycam, which was you know shot most of his childhood, basically, um, from the 90s. And, um, and I went to my dad's neuroscience lab, and I was just, you know, he's a neuroscientist at UIC in Chicago, and I was just, I just wanted to use that space because I thought it would be interesting on the Handycam, and I was just like, let me shoot some test footage um, to see what this is. This was like Tuesday night. The screening is going to be Saturday. Um, so I just kind of handheld, shot some test footage and everything like that for about 45 minutes or so, and I... Um, you know, my dad just had a long day of work, <laughs> and so I didn't want to, like, and he was acting in it, and I didn't want to, like, put him out. And so the plan was, like, Friday I was going to get a much bigger shoot. I was going to get some crew members but still have it be low-key and everything like that and get some other actors and, you know, make mm -hmm. it a bigger story and everything. Mm -hmm. And I got back Tuesday night, and I was like, I don't want to put my dad out again. He's, like, a 60-year-old neuroscientist that is, you know. So I was looking at the footage, and I was like, I can actually make a film out of this. And, you know, while I was filming it, I was kind of, like, coaching him through things and having him do different things and stuff like that. And he was amazing to work with, actually. Um, and I was looking over, and I was like, I'm just going to make it out of this. Um, so I discovered a lot you know, through posts and everything like that, and then ended up screening it, and it went over well at the backyard, and so I was like, I'll submit this to festivals now. So your post was only four days, or did you decide yeah. to? Yeah. yeah, it was 45 minutes of shooting, and then it was a few days of post, basically, yeah. Wow. And, you know, my roommate, I 
it was really cool because I was just totally process oriented the entire time while making this. Mm. You know, I while I was in film school, I raised five thousand dollars. I had an eighteen person crew at a four day shoot. I had over 180 drafts of that script on my computer, which is just absurd. Don't do that. <laughs> just make it before you do that. But um, yeah. it was, I just obsessed over it. I lost sleep. It was just like, this is going to be perfect and everything. And that film will never see the light of day. Not so. I'm not even... going to show it to anyone. No. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm not showing you, John. <laughs> I want to um, see it. We'll put it in the article. Don't... <laughs> I'm going to force you. Um, and then this thing that I make, uh, just like, I'm going to make this for fun and discover what it is through making it, of course, is the thing that ends up, you know, bringing me to South by. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, while Dan is uploading, my roommate Dan was um, uploading the footage for me, um, and he was just like hitting the side of the camera and it was making the computer glitch, and then he just click rewind, and so it would just randomly rewind over and over and over again. It was just like, all right, I guess I'm going to discover what that means mm-hmm. while in post. You know what I mean? Now that there's all these rewind effects and everything. And so I just kind of organically discovered it and collaborated with it. And it's almost easier that way. Um, my roommate, Zach, paints on thrift store paintings a lot of the times. And he finds it easier <laughs> instead of just looking at a blank canvas and just feeling stuck. He just is inspired off the thrift store painting and collaborates with that. And suddenly it's it, your like creativity starts flowing, you know? So that's kind of what it felt like. So then can you talk a little bit about like what it actually took in terms of resources to make this movie possible? Um, because uh, for example, like strategies that kept it low stress, low budget, uh, one of which I guess would be the fact that it's entirely narrated over. There's like no sound. That helps a lot. Um, yeah. And you just said, you know, it was essentially test footage. Uh, when did you decide, like, what what were the things that you did with that $4.50 that made it more of a complete package after the test footage that you shot? Sure. That money was the cost of the train ride, basically, <laughs> wow. riding the public transit, yeah. so nothing. Um, my roommate, it was basically a thing of, like, looking... I looked backwards and could kind of connect the dots of like, oh, I was just looking at what resources I had at my disposal. Yeah. I had this lab, I had my dad... Uh, and I know he would. He said he would act in it. You know, I, he's letting me use this space. I have this handy cam. That was the camera that I have. Um, my roommate had this canopy, this thing to, um, you know, uh, hook it up to the computer and upload it on. Um, but that was it. Oh, my dad also had. He's a. He plays guitar and had this old recorder that I recorded off my. I use a computer voice, and I was uh, pressing play on my computer and recording it off my laptop speakers with that. Um, and it was, and there's synth music and my roommate, Dan does synth music. So, and yeah, that's basically, there you go. (laughs) It helps that, you know, the story itself, Mm -hmm. if it was told with a different camera, I don't think it would be as successful. Like having, having these resources, like looking at what you have kind of informs what the story is going to be, which Mm -hmm. is really important because, you know, if I was trying to make this like high budget thing and I was using this beat up handy cam, it's not going to work, you know, if I wanted this like really clean cut, polished commercial looking thing, you know. So looking at those resources and kind of discovering organically what the story is through that was what was so exciting to me about it. Yeah, we uh, we, we hear a lot. It's told again and again, the advice, like the best tool for the job is the one that the job needs. But it seems like you can also look at that uh, conversely as like, because you're actually making the shoot dependent on the tool. Yeah, there you know was, what I mean? Uh, my buddy Sam is a photographer, and he said there was some photographer that said the best camera that you have is the one that you have on you or something like mm. that. So mm-hmm. it was sort of like that of like I have this handy cam, and then you kind of 
discover what it is. Make yeah. what would be good for that hand Yeah, camp. exactly. Great. Yeah. So then let's uh, jump forward, I guess, like, I what, six six months to South by Southwest, the first yeah. time you got in? What was, yeah. what was that like? Um, what was it like first getting the acceptance letter, I guess? Yeah, that was absurd. I was just like, because, you know, I totally forgot about at this point. I submitted to South by Tribeca and Slamdance because they have this thing called Anarchy Shorts, which are these like DIY shorts. Didn't get into either of those, had already gotten those rejections and then got into South by and just like flipped out and was just like, it was like when I got accepted to NYU, I just laughed. Yeah. I was like, this is absurd. <laughs> yeah. This is not true. <laughs> um, and I was really excited and it was it was great. It was, um, speaking of low budget, like I had this... Um, in terms of like the, the thing with these festivals is like, okay, the festival costs, the, the submissions were really high because it was a late deadline. Mm. You can often get waivers with that, obviously, but um, but not obviously. I didn't know that at the time. Um, and then going to these festivals like is expensive. Yeah. It's a lot. And so in terms of like continuing that low budget thing, I had – um, gotten the South by or uh, South by uh, Southwest credit card um, that if you spend a certain amount you get all these frequent flyer miles and so I was like oh that's great and then I'll just pay it off right away I didn't now I'm in a lot of credit card debt but <laughs> I did get free flights and so I got a free flight down there um, because I got these points and everything like that um, a friend of mine um, their family let us stay there in Austin Dan and I Dan went with me and we just cooked food and kind of did our best um, but it is really expensive still. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what was a uh, what was it like at South by Southwest in terms of like how did you use it um, in a way that would benefit your future career? Like what opportunities sure. did it bring you while you were actually physically down in Austin? It's interesting because like um, you know I uh, the idea of networking is like horrible yeah. to me Terrifying. as it is to most people, and the idea of it just feels inherently gross. And so um, something that Laura was saying was she was like, you know, I didn't really network at South by. I just like hung out with this performance artist from Chicago and we had a good time. And they're like, that's what networking is. And so basically like it was really low stakes for me because I went on a whim. It was this film that I made that I was excited about, but I wasn't trying to turn it into a feature. I wasn't trying to get a feature made at the time. I was going to hang and have a good time Mm -hmm. and watch films and meet people. And so I sat next to Laura Moss, um, director of Friday, uh, that just did incredible on the festival circuit, and she ended up directing Alan Anders. Um, We just sat next to each other and just started talking and then ended up running into a bunch and hanging more and more. And um, I got out of one film screening, and Brendan O'Brien, who is her writing partner, uh, which I didn't know at the time, also got out. And we had this long walk together, and we just walked and talked and got to know each other better. And then, you know... Six months after that, they reach out to to make a film with me. So, so you weren't actually you guys didn't decide at the time, like in Austin, that you were going to make a film together. This was no something way, that happened. Yeah. Did you keep in touch yeah. between? Or we stayed in touch. So what actually? So Laura came to Chicago because her film Friday got into the Chicago Film Critics Festival. Um, so she was coming there, and then she knew about the shithole. I had told her about it, and right. she was like, "I want to come and see that." Yeah. So she came and saw the show, and she saw me do what I've been calling sort of magical realism stand up comedy, which is like really surreal stand-up over music and things like that. That's what I was performing a lot of at the time. And she saw that and was like, and you know, we just hung out after and we played with the idea of like, she was like, I want to shoot this and make a film out of this. And we sort of like tossed it around back and forth. And then, uh, you know, several months after that, they they reach out to do it um, because they want to make, yeah, they, they 
made a pact, you know, to make a make a film every year, yeah. basically. So they they wanted to do that one. Yeah. So then, what was it? Like? I mean, those are two completely different experiences, I'm sure, in terms of you know making your own movie and then um, collaborating with Laura to make this movie. What were the main differences between those two shorts? In terms of um, what the what the work was like, yeah. For in me, terms basically. of what the work was like, sure. Yeah, um, it was really exciting to me. So this this one, so Alan Anders was a character that I was working on. This one particular set that I did, I performed. You know, when I first moved to Chicago, every month, every week, I was performing something new and just doing different things. And a lot of th- things did not work. But it's a very supportive audience, and you kind of like grow and learn from that. And eventually, I started realizing I have all these like things, but you know scattershot sort of things, but nothing's really getting polished or the next step or anything like that. So I started developing this one character that I was really excited about. So it was kind of like a baby of mine because this was like my first live performance character that I really loved a lot. And I just trusted Laura a lot. Laura and Brendan, they just made me feel like I was in such good hands and I know that they're just profoundly talented. And so it was kind of exciting to me and liberating in a way to be like, here's my baby and now you make it yours and like turn it into something else Mm -hmm. and so you know i yeah the the film like i couldn't have even imagined um what she ended up doing with it it would have looked totally different for me and would not have been as successful or not in that way you know um so it was really just kind of exciting of just like being able to be like okay you are an actor you're a writer as well so it's kind of complicated but she was kind of just gave me a lot of freedom to do it because she's like, this is yours yeah. at the same time. You know, it was kind of just respecting each other in that sense. So yeah. did you shoot it in Chicago or? No. So I, I went out to New York mm. uh, on those uh, Southwest freaking flyer miles. I'm go. not trying to, don't get into debt, everyone, but. Uh, <laughs> but fly Southwest. Um, but fly Southwest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every time I plug it, I get it. Um, that's how I'm getting out of debt is by plugging it. So, um, yeah, I, I flew out there and I... Um, and we we shot it at Stand Up NY, this uh, this comedy club. Um, I believe it's on the Upper East Side. Yeah, and um, yeah. And then you just turned it over to her, like yeah, pretty exactly, much. basically. And she actually really kindly reached out for notes, which she didn't have to do, you know. So mm-hmm. I, yeah. And and then now you came to South by Southwest again in 2018 yeah. with this project, Alan Anders. So what does what was that experience like? Was it similar to your your previous experience, or like were you uh, able to make the sort of connections that you did the first year or are you feeling sure. like yeah it was a little bit different because you know we were trying to we're trying to develop alan anders into a 30 minute now like okay. a 30 minute special like a com- like, like a tv show sort of thing or well like yeah the idea is you know it's like a half hour comedy special but it's this like found footage surreal mm-hmm. fever dream comedy special basically mm-hmm. um so we're in the midst of like trying to work on that so i was thinking of like getting meetings and things like that and um and so the focus was a little bit shifted and also I was there with people, you know, um, so we ended up that, that I already knew. And then there were some people that were at South by this last year that were also there the previous year and everything. So it's like seeing old friends, but then I also got to meet a lot of new people that I really love a lot. And yeah. So it was almost like, uh, this sounds like it was a more businessy sort of year though. It was a bit. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. When you say you were trying to get meetings, uh, who were you trying to meet with? Uh, in order to achieve the goal of creating this, I guess, 30-minute special. Sure. Yeah, there were um, some producers that, you know, expressed a lot of excitement and so I was trying to, you know, meet with them and everything like that. I think we had put together – I mean, Laura and Brendan are absolute – 
pros. Yeah. Um, so they, you know, put together this whole press kit that looks beautiful mm-hmm. and uh, and has this director's note and everything and it has this like, and now we have this like pitch deck and all that. And now suddenly I'm like thrown into this right. and learning all, like I just do free DIY shows and now suddenly I'm learning so much through them by the by the way that they work. Um, it's really impressive wow, and sort that's of just huge. like, yeah. yeah, exactly. And so you're learning it through doing it, uh, that's another just like really lucky thing that happened. Basically, it seems like that's been a like a pretty common thread in this entire conversation is sort of learning it yeah, by doing it. Which yeah, is... but but you know it wasn't happening for years, and I think it was because of me stopping myself from even getting into these situations because I stopped myself from creating something. Right. Or I stopped, you know, so the preciousness that you that you, exactly that you yeah. Up. Are you a filmmaker who struggles to find quality and affordable royalty music for your projects? Are you tired of spending countless hours on searching for the right song for your video? Soundstripe is the solution to eliminating the barrier between dreaming and creating. Soundstripe offers a great variety of songs, and their unlimited licensing model is one of a kind in the industry. They're designed to make it easy, profitable, and fun for you to add incredible music to your videos. A subscription gives you unlimited access to their amazing music library. Soundstripe's mission is to keep creatives creating. Their unique and valuable approach helps filmmakers do what they love. They want you to spend more time being inspired and creating. Find the perfect song for your next project today. Save 10% on a Soundstripe subscription using the promo code NOFILMSCHOOL at checkout at soundstripe.com. Create with confidence. Create with Soundstripe. So your first film cost $4.50 to make. The second one was a little bit higher in production scope. Where did you find that? How did you like get together the funds to actually like make this film? A- sure, Alan Anders. Yeah, so with um, yeah with Alan Anders, they had self financed it. Yeah. Um, um, and then to finish it though, it was going to you know the finishing costs were going to basically match our production costs in the first place. And then the finishing costs, what what do they relate to? Like what? Would so you color, say? VFX, um, and sound mixing and everything mm-hmm. like that. So the film to finish it would have just basically matched the production budget for how much it would have cost to finish it properly. Mm-hmm. So Laura's brother is a sound mixer and works at these studios, and um, he did the sound for us um, for free. The studio very kindly donated the studio hours in kind is what it's called. And um, then in terms of like color and VFX and everything, um, Laura had met with a few different companies after making Friday. Um, and there's this one company that, uh, and there's a lot like them that is a, they're primarily branding content and now they're looking to get into more narrative driven pieces. Mm-hmm. And so they saw Alan Anders were really excited about it. Um, they were excited about it getting to South by already and everything like that. And so they hmm. um, gave us, were just generous and it's been a great support system. They were able to help us finish the film basically so they got different technicians to do you know color and vfx and everything and yeah that that helped a lot yeah that's awesome yeah so then it seems like another common theme in this is finding a good collaborator you had laura for the second one uh dan for the first one can you explain what it means to you to find a collaborator and how impactful that's been on your own career it's sort of a, f- a feeling of um, appreciating their work and them and it being mutual and sort of it happening organically where you're like, let's do this thing. And But it's har- it's hard. There's so many projects that I've wanted to make with people that just kind of fall through and mm-hmm. feel like a very common thing is people being like, oh, we have to do this together. And then it never actually happens. So 
it definitely helps. Um, you know, I took the lead on the on the first one, and Dan was down, and and people are down. People are down to help. You know, if you are doing the project and you start making it, people will jump in. Um, and then with Alan Anders, they took the full lead on that, and um, that's like, and I'm and down. you were down. I'm down. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, great. So yeah. I guess just to round things off here, like I like to ask uh, this question to everybody, and that would be like, I mean, for specifically for you, uh, what would you what advice would you give to a filmmaker that feels stuck in a rut and that's trying to break out of this and like get to some levels of success as you have done finding um finding fulfillment now finding a community now is a really helpful thing because without without having that you're sort of just running around and feeling like sort of unfulfilled and everything like that so finding a community is really helpful and then just making the thing like setting the dates, making the thing, discover what it is, do whatever process is going to – that you need to actually see a project to the end. Mm-hmm. And what I needed at that time was this like low-key process-oriented film. Maybe some other people need that. Maybe some other people need something more polished or things like that. But um, sort of just just doing – changing your idea of what you think something should be and discover what it actually is. That's great advice. Cool. Well, thanks, Tony. Thanks for yeah. coming. <laughs> thanks so and much good for luck me. with uh, with everything in the future. Cool. We'll Thank see, you very much. We'll see more, I'm sure. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, go ahead and subscribe to the No Film School podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you use. And be sure to tune in to Indie Film Weekly, our weekly news show every Thursday. I'm John Fusco. You can follow me on Twitter at Jim underscore John underscore Jim. And you can follow No Film School at No Film School. Have a good one. <laughs>